to them in Hebrew, which makes them listen more. He's described his heritage and upbringing as an Orthodox Jew, and then he's describing what happened to him on the road to Damascus when he faced a uh, rather startling revelation that he had been persecuting the Lord himself in the person of Jesus the Nazarene, and he was informed that he needed to go to Damascus to find out more instructions as to what he should do. And so he's just telling this story to this mob, and they're still listening to him recounting almost his life story, I guess you could say in some ways. So then, 12 to 16 of chapter 22. There are certain Aeneas and, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all of the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At the same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of your of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Okay. So a certain Ananias came to Saul when he got to Damascus. What do we learn about this certain Ananias? Devout. In what sense was he devout? Good reputation. What? Good reputation. With the Jews. Now, he's telling them that because this is a Jewish audience. He has been establishing his credentials in Judaism, and even Ananias who came to him had been a devout Jew, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Um, And he came to Saul and said, Brother Saul, receive your sign. Now don't be surprised he called him brother before his baptism. Because in 22.1 and 23.1, Paul even calls his Jewish enemies brothers, in the sense that they were fellow Jews. Um, And then Ananias tells him in 14 and 15 why Jesus appeared to him. Why? Jesus, there is one essential qualification that a witness has to have. You have to witness. <laughs> yeah. You didn't witness it, you can't witness it. In other words, you had to have seen Jesus alive before you could be qualified as a witness to testify. And so that's why Jesus appeared to him. That gave him the qualifications, the credentials to be able to testify about Jesus. So he says, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And then what does Ananias tell him to do? Arise and be baptized. Yes. And? So if he says that to him, then what does that tell you about the experience he had of seeing Jesus? Yeah, didn't forgive his sins. It was an extraordinary experience and it caused him to listen to Ananias, but he was still a sinner 
whose sins needed to be washed away by arising and being baptized. And this is the way you call on the Lord's name. This is the way you appeal to Jesus for salvation. You arise and you're baptized. Same thing that Peter said in Acts 2.38. To repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So that's what Ananias is here telling Saul that he needed to do uh, to have his sins forgiven. Comments and questions on this section? Seventeen twenty-one. It came about when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in thee. And when the blood of thy witness Stephen was being shed, I, was, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, he ended up being back in Jerusalem. He was praying in the temple when Jesus says what to him? So whose idea was it for him to leave Jerusalem and preach to the Gentiles? Yeah. It wasn't something he invented. He encountered the Lord in the temple and the Lord told him to get out of Jerusalem and to go to the Gentiles. So this decision he made, the thing that they've been upset with him about, was really something the Lord told him that he must do. And uh, why should he not stay in Jerusalem, according to the voice? They want to accept Yes. They, they're not going to accept what you're saying. Has Paul had any experience with that? Be the first time. Yeah. Or think about when Paul didn't accept what the Christians were saying earlier in his life. You know, he mentions that he had been approving of the stoning of Stephen. Now he's in Stephen's position. You know, he's been on both sides of this. And and he thought, you know, when he was there in Jerusalem and, and the Lord tells him you need to leave because they're not going to accept you, he really thought that his background and, and, and what the things that they had in common would motivate them to listen and believe what he said. But that is not the case. Uh, so he said, go, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. So that's why Saul, Paul, ended up going to the Gentiles. Comments and questions? 22 to 29. <clears throat> and they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said he should be examined under scourging, so that he might know why they shot so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. 
the commander answered with, answered, with a large sum I obtained the citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. And immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew, him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Alright, so uh, they listen until he says that God sent him to the Gentiles and then what do they do? Right. Yeah. This just infuriates them. Now, I suspect they never understood what was being said, but it's it's interesting that they are so outraged that Paul was sent to the Gentiles when they're right here in front of the Gentile soldiers, you know, on the stairway of the Gentile commander and all that. But I suspect they were speaking in Aramaic and they didn't even understand what they were saying. Um, this just this just infuriates them, and they say he's not well, shouldn't be allowed to live. It is weird, but it is true. There's something about Christianity that seems to make its enemies want to destroy it. You ever notice that? In fact, they just get crazed. You know, Paul's preaching rarely met with indifference. Normally, you either believed it or you hated it. And, and, and that's, that's an interesting lesson for us. We need to see, you know, when, when Paul preaches a sermon like to this mob, and a lot of other times when Paul went into places to preach, do you think he was preaching a message that says there's really not any difference between me and you guys? We're all about the same. You know, we're all going to heaven, we're just getting different roads to get there, or whatever. No! Paul's message left them seeing that there is a great difference, and they didn't like it. You know, if, if we preached a sermon, and they were ready to kill us, what would our first question be? What did I say wrong? Exactly. That was not Paul's first question. It wasn't what he said wrong, it was what they were doing wrong. And so when they start rioting, you know, it's like, what's the commander going to do? I. I doubt he even understood the speech Paul had made, but understand it or not, they're rioting. I mean, things are bad. So what does the commander order? He brought, for Paul to be brought back in there. Yeah. That, for one thing, is to try to calm the crowd. I mean, you know, them seeing Saul at the moment is kind of like waving a red flag in front of a bull. The more they see him, the more riled up they get. So we're going to whisk him back inside the barracks. And what's the commander really want to find out? Why they're so angry. But he would probably say it differently. What's he trying to find out? What did Paul do? What did he do wrong? What's he guilty of? Exactly. And he's got his techniques of finding out. What's his technique? Beat it out of him. And that strike you as, you know, kind of barbaric. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's worldly soldiers. You know, they don't care about Paul. You know, he just wants to find out the truth. So he just beat him till he confesses. You know, uh, wow. That's, uh, that's kind of ridiculous. But, I mean... Would, 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 he, would there be such rioting if it weren't for the fact that Paul did something wrong? 
I mean, you know he's got to have done something wrong. I mean, after all, they're all upset with him. Don't you like that logic? We ever use that? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's his mentality. He knows he does all right. He just can't figure out what it is, you know? Beat him until he confesses. But what does Paul do in this situation? He reminds them that he's a Roman. Yeah, they probably didn't even know that. And he's like, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? <laughs> oh, that does change things a little bit. <laughs> that argument has never worked before uh, the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and the other... <laughs> but it works before the Romans. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the Jewish leaders didn't care. Right. But this Roman official, he'd get in big trouble being not a Roman. And furthermore, one that hadn't even received a trial. You don't do that if he's not a Roman, then whatever. There's really no justice for non-Romans. But, but knowing he's a Roman, it's like, you know, if, uh, you know, what if, uh, I guess, uh, we, how do this thing, how does this go? Uh, we invade Russia, and we conquer Russia, and we, we hire some Russian judges, some Russian prosecutors and things like that over in Russia. Then an American goes visiting Russia, and suddenly he's accused of something, he's whisking before the authorities, and they start beating an American that they haven't even questioned or tried. What would happen? Heads would roll. Yeah, you don't do that with an American. So you don't do that with a Roman citizen. I mean, when they find out, is he a Roman citizen? When the commander uh, says to, to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman? Yes. I mean, that just changes the whole complexion of this. This is a severe breach of protocol. And how did the commander feel when he found out that Paul was a Roman? Afraid and I think kind of I almost feel like he's a little bit arrogant, like he feels like the guy's on the same level, just trying to show he's on a better level. I don't know if it's really me. Yeah, um, he says, "Well, it cost me lots of money for it." I wonder if he's not thinking, "Man, they must be selling it cheap these days." Good grief! I paid all this money for it, and and now a guy like this is a citizen. Man, it must not cost much now. You know, this is probably under the table. This is kind of buying your way into citizenship. Probably not the uh, legal procedure. But what does Paul say about it? So he really has a higher privilege and position than this commander who bought his way into citizenship. You know, as a citizen, Paul, in a sense, outranks the commander. Commander's a citizen only because he bribed somebody into making him one. <laughs> it's a very uh, fortunate thing that Paul was a Roman citizen. <laughs> I expect the Lord had his hand in that, don't you? Why would Paul have been a Roman citizen? Born in Tarsus. Was everybody born in Tarsus a Roman citizen? No. His father. 
his relatives. If he was born a citizen, obviously means his father is a citizen, and probably means that somewhere up the line, either his father, grandfather, whatever, had done something for the Roman Empire, and he'd been granted citizenship, and therefore his descendants. That's more than likely what happened, unless one of those forefathers actually bought their citizenship also, or whatever. But probably, you know, some deed that Rome wanted to honor. Is that the only way to become a citizen? Uh, yeah, the Rome's got to make it citizens, so either get it. You, you do something that causes them to want to make you a citizen, or you pay whatever under the table money is necessary. So there were no natural citizens? Yes, they would have been natural citizens, but not a Jew. Wouldn't a natural citizen, there would have been one born in Rome. Pe and people who were Roman people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought about that. But yes, yeah, certainly, there were Romans who were Romans. So he but have had a, this is a non-Roman Roman. So he wouldn't have had a, uh, a relative that was a Roman Roman. I don't think so, since he's a Jew. Yeah, I think so since he's a Jew, it's probably not likely. But was his father a Jew too? Yes. Probably. Okay. He would have had it under the Pharisee, would he not? Probably. I guess I kind of assume that one of his parents was a Jew and one wasn't, kind of like Timothy, but... Well, I don't know of a good reason to assume that. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> as much as the Pharisees hated Gentiles, I would doubt that they would have let him be as high up as he was. I suppose you're right about that. Then part Jew. He would have been completely fool. I would think I could be wrong. That's just complete observation. Does this tell you something? I mean... Would you, well, do you think it would be right for Paul to kind of use his citizenship to get out of a beating? Why not? I mean, what's the point? I mean, if you got to go through something the Lord gives you to deal with, he's going to get you way out if he can. <laughs> you know? Right. But on the other hand, I look at this and say, there are uh, <laughs> many times when the Lord didn't get him out of it. So... I mean, I, I don't take that as a as a huge saving thing. You know, it's not like not like he couldn't endure it. He I don't even remember the numbers, but yeah, you know, three times I received whatever somebody. So he he was certainly beaten and scourged and whatever before, and it was allowed. It wasn't like there was some loophole each time for him to get out. He didn't. He didn't need it at, at the other times. He would have survived it this time. So I don't know how, how else to look at that other than, okay, the Lord decided he'd been beaten enough, I guess. But he himself mentioned that. Right. So, I mean, he precipitated the discussion. Theoretically, if he hadn't said anything about being a Roman citizen, they'd have just carried right on and beat him. Beat him. Evidently, Paul does not think it's just going to be of great benefit to him to get beat again. You know, it's not like we, we're just angling for all the beatings we can have. He probably didn't see the benefits in the other times either. <laughs> exactly. I'm assuming the other times he didn't have a choice. He probably made some excuse the other times too, but it didn't work. <laughs> that may well be the case. Yeah, that may be, well, well be the case. But it's like, you know, we should we be willing to be beaten or killed or whatever for the cause of Christ? Well, absolutely we ought to be willing to. Should we just try to make sure we get beaten for the cause of Christ? No, there's no value in that. It's not like 
there's just some inherent value we need as many beatings as possible. It's not that. And so, he takes advantage of legal uh, rights that he has. He mentions those to try to avoid, you know, being beaten. Uh, I think perfectly legitimate in this situation, and thankfully, for once, you know, uh, they get scared, and they don't scourge him. You might, you might contrast that with what all happens with the Jews. You know, with the Jews, they're going to beat him, they're going to persecute him, they're going to do all kinds of stuff to him. With the Romans, there's actually some degree of law and decency among them. So it almost makes the Romans look better than the Jews. Most of the Jews would have hated Other thoughts and comments? So I wonder why he assumed that he was not a Roman citizen. Well, you know, he's a Jew. I mean, I'm assuming not many people were Roman citizens. It doesn't really look like I you know, just uh, committed this horrible crime, whatever that was. So, you know, I just wouldn't normally think of that. I don't wonder why he didn't assume. I don't wonder why he believed it. I mean, if I'm about to get flogged, I'm about every single kind of excuse I can muster. Apparently, there were severe penalties for impersonating a Roman citizen, from what I've read. You probably wouldn't do that if you weren't. That's what I thought. I would explain I had the same question as Wow! Great minds. Same thing, so I was like, did they make money? <laughs> yeah. Other and questions? So where does this leave the commander? Has no idea why he's got Paul on his hands. You know, what in the world did he do? And that leads to this next rather interesting exchange. A um, lot to this. Let's do uh, 2230 to 235. 